Ovajana, Tumiran Tasya, Yanam Jana Shalakaya, Chakshur Militam Yuna Tasma Ishigaravinamaha. Can we believe the Mahabharata? Because someone asked me this the other night and it made me think that actually even though the Mahabharata was shown on television somewhat, was that uh, three years ago, something like that, two, three years ago, and it was immensely popular. Uh, it was, people were surprised that Sunday morning you won't find anybody on the street. They're all watching Mahabharata on television. So people, they became very much interested by this. But at the same time, due to modern education or whatever, people, they tend to doubt how can the Mahabharata be actually real. Because in the Mahabharata, as in any scriptures of the world, uh, there are many incidents related which appear to be fantastic or unbelievable. Just like we read in the Mahabharata of so many things. Arjun, he went through outer space and traveled to Indra Loka. The Panch Pandavas, they are born from different gods, right? From Surya, of course he gave birth to Karna, then Yama to Yudhishthira, and Indra to Arjuna, Vayu to Bhima, Ashwini Kumaras to Nakul Sahadev. So this seems, what is this? It doesn't seem possible. And uh, Karna was born from the ear of Kunti. Therefore his name is Karna. And in the battle we see that mantras were applied to the arrows. So they would shoot an arrow and say a mantra and different things would happen. The arrows would split up into 50 arrows. Or the arrows, they would, they, by the power of the mantra, from the sky, rocks would come, or fire would come, or snakes would come. So many different things. And many times in Mahabharata we find uh, voices from the sky. Or we find people who, are, who are die and brought back to life again. So many things, which seem fantastic and unbelievable. And in, uh, in other scriptures of the world also, just like we'll find that in the Bible also, people dead, dying, brought back to life again. The most famous example is Jesus Christ, who died and three days later came back to life. And in the Bible we find so many things, just like uh, when Moses was taking the Jewish people out of Egypt, they had to cross the sea. So by the power of God, the whole sea just opened up and they walked through. And there's so many things. So can we believe these things or not? And mostly, of course, people say, no, we can't believe it. Why should we believe it? We never saw or heard of such things. We, we can't believe these things. Tend to, we tend to think that in the past, people believed this kind of thing, but nowadays we are more advanced in education and we don't believe these things. Actually, what happened in medieval Europe, beginning from the 17th century, the philosophy of rationalism was developed. Now, of course, previously people in Europe, as in any other part of the world, they tended to believe in God, to believe in the Bible or the Quran or the Vedas, whatever scripture they were following. But the rationalists, there were so many uh, Voltaire, Hume, Western rationalists, different philosophers in different parts of the Western countries. They, more or less, they brought up the philosophy that if I see it, I believe it. And if I don't see it, I don't believe it. And that was extended to the other senses, which means that if I can see, hear, touch, taste, smell or feel, then I can believe something is true. Otherwise, I don't believe it. That's why many times people say to us, Prove, the exist prove that God exists, as if they expect us to bring a test tube and a Bunsen burner and some litmus paper and a few chemicals and react them and God will appear. Huh? They, they, they think that everything should be verified scientifically. Unless we can see something, unless we can prove it, we don't believe it. Now this philosophy is practically the most widespread philosophy in the world and I think uh, many of you are probably science students.
any science or any discipline you're following, whether it's history or geography or whatever, the whole idea is that whatever knowledge we have, that should be verifiable. Is it not? If we can verify it, then we believe it. And if we can't verify it, then we don't believe it. Just like uh, we can verify whether a liquid, we have a bottle of liquid, we can verify whether it's acid or base or neutral by applying some litmus paper. So then you can verify this is acid, this is base or this is neutral. And you can test the pH value. So like this, it's something which you can verify very easily. Now, something which we can't verify, we tend to disbelieve. Just like uh, if I told you that my mother was born on the moon, you probably wouldn't believe me. Would any of you believe me? I think probably not. And you would ask me to prove it. And I would have to produce a birth certificate from the moon or something like this. Huh? So it's not, it's not very believable. What we can, something which is within our range of experience, huh? or something which we can verify, we believe. There is the experimental method in science by which we, uh, the experimental method in which we examine a group of facts and based on that we make some speculation, some hypothesis. This way theories come. Then we put the theory to the test, experiment. And if we can prove it, then it becomes a law. That's why we have different theories in science and we have laws. There are laws of thermodynamics and there are some things which have not been proven just like theory, relativity theories, the unified field theory. There are some things which are not proven but which we tend to accept anyway even though they're not proven. But the actual scientific method is that we should prove it. Now in this idea, rationalism, empiricism, everything we can only believe if we can prove it. Now there is an inbuilt fault or at least two or three inbuilt faults in this theory. Later we'll come back to Mahabharata. Let's look. Now we're dealing with epistemology, which is the... Epistemology means the science of how we find out what we believe, what is the basis of our belief. So, uh, this, this idea, I can o only what we see, feel, hear, touch, taste, smell and feel, that we can believe. There is inbuilt faults in that. Now, one of the faults is that our ability to perceive through the senses is very limited. Huh? Just like we can only perceive light within a very limited spectrum, is it not? We can't see huh? ultraviolet, infrared. If it, goes, if it goes too much, one way or the other, we can't see. And similarly with hearing. If, if, the, uh, if, if it's too high-pitched or too low-pitched, we can't hear it. And s similarly with all the senses, it is very limited. Now with machines, we can, we can measure light and sound, which is even beyond our immediate ability to perceive. And with machines, we have picked up all different kinds of energies, which are floating in the universe and we can measure them just like uh, electricity we can't measure um, we can't we can't see electricity electricity is everywhere but we can't see it we can't perceive it but by scientific methods we can harness that electric energy we can measure it and we can utilize it similarly there are many radio waves are everywhere but we can't immediately see it we can't immediately we can't in any circumstance see it, even with any machine. But, with, but we, can, we can catch those radio waves by using apparat, radio apparatus and we can relay messages. So similarly, many different kinds of energy are floating within the universe and scientists have tapped some of them. Huh? Even uh, 200 years ago or even 100 years ago, 
If we told people about some of the things that we are doing now, they wouldn't believe it. Just like if you told people a hundred years ago that uh, all over the world, people, they will watch television. There's Olympic Games is going on in Barcelona and we're sitting in Baroda and if we're so inclined, personally I'm not, but if we're so inclined, we can watch live broadcast. Means you can watch and it comes from thousands of miles and only just a split second after the action takes place, practically you're seeing it on the spot, on the second, what's happening. So it is something fantastic. If we told people a hundred years ago, they wouldn't believe it. Even when I was born, if we were told that people would, everyone would have a computer in their house and in, on your computer you can do so many things, then we wouldn't believe it. Now there are many other kinds of energies also, uh, just like there is thought energy that has been scientists, psychologists, they have made inquiries and experiments and they have discovered that people with strong willpower, they can influence people to do things. Just like uh, there were experiments done even over a hundred years ago of people who different people would stand outside someone's room and that person inside they wouldn't know or even they could be one mile away or ten miles away and they would just concentrate. Now you leave your house and go and visit your friend. And they found, they did this kind of experiment that just even from a distance, just by concentrating, trying to influence someone's uh, willpower, that person unexpectedly, even though they may not have visited that friend for two months, they would get up and go. So like this, many experiments have been made. Of course, experiments in the field of psychology, it is more difficult to verify. The more subtle the science, the more difficult it becomes to verify. Hmm? In, uh, in chemistry, it is easier to verify than in physics, because physics is a more subtle science. Chemistry, we're dealing with chemicals. Physics, we're dealing with waves, energy. So naturally it becomes more difficult to verify. Now in the field of thought, there, there may be, uh, it may be very difficult to verify, because it's a more subtle kind of energy. Now my point is that there may be many, many different kinds of energy which we are not aware of. Huh? And if we simply say that we only believe what we can see, hear, feel, tell, smell, taste and touch, then we are limiting ourselves. Because there may be many, many kinds of Shakti within the universe which we are not aware of. Even some scientists in the 1950s, they postulated first the idea of antimatter. Two Russian scientists got a Nobel Prize for giving the theory of antimatter. That there may be a different kind of matter which is existing simultaneously with this matter. There may be another whole universe going on in another dimension side by side with us but we have no ability to perceive it because we are locked in to this kind of matter and there may be another kind of matter which is completely independent of this matter and there may be people walking through us and all kinds of things going on there may be multi-dimensions we, we are existing in three dimensions but there may be multi-dimensions which we are not aware of so the first effect of the rationalistic empiric theory is that it does not take into account that there may be many levels of reality, there may be many levels of perception which we are simply unable to perceive because we have limited senses. If we say, I only believe what I can see, I only believe what I can hear, then we are limiting ourselves to these senses. But the senses which we have are very imperfect. Just like for instance, I'm speaking with a microphone because if I don't, I have a very weak voice, maybe due to speaking like this for so many years. So, uh, my ability to speak is limited and people's ability to hear is limited. I cannot hear 
There must be so many conversations going on on this campus right now, huh? There must be several hundred conversations going on. But I cannot hear it. My ability to hear is limited. It is limited by time and space. And it's also limited by uh, that innate inhibition. Huh? Just like, you know, they have a dog whistle. If you, you blow the whistle, the dog can hear it. I cannot. Because it's a very high pitch. So our senses are very limited. Therefore, if we limit what we believe to what we can see and hear and feel and what we can perceive through our senses, then immediately we are assuming that there are no other levels of reality beyond that which is available to our senses, which is in immediately a foolish assumption. We can say it outright, that the whole of modern so-called philosophy, wisdom, science, education is going on on the very foolish assumption that man has the ability to perceive everything. But why should we, why should we uh, accept that? On what basis? On what basis should we accept that? Now we can give an example. Consider the position of the ant. Now there may be many ants crawling here. Now the ant is existing in this room and I am existing in this room. But for the ant, what is the ant's perception of reality? The ant's perception of reality is, here is my hole, here all the ants live. I come out, I find a grain of sugar, I bring it back. And that is his whole reality. For the ant, the ant is living in this room, but he has no ability to perceive what is going on. He has no idea what we are doing here. He has no idea that this, is, this building is built by human beings. He has no idea what a human being is. The ant has no... If we discuss what is economics, sociology, religion, politics, science, technology, mathematics, the ant is completely unable to perceive these things. These things are reality, but it is totally beyond the ant's ability to perceive because the ant has that only this much ability to perceive. Even if the ant is crawling on our body, the ant doesn't know that this is a human being. All it knows is something I'm crawling on. And if we go like this, it can think there is some danger. But it has no developed intelligence. So similarly, it is not unrealistic for us to hypothesize that we are existing in this universe or on this earth planet and there may be many living beings who are far more superior to us and who can perceive reality in a far more broader spectrum, spectrum than we can. If, say, the, say if there's one genius ant, let us, let us suppose that among the ants there is to the ants what is the equivalent of Dr. Einstein. Now it's just like Dr. Einstein, if he tries to explain to us what he is, he perceives, Albert Einstein perceives the universe, his perception is so developed that even though he can write it in mathematical formulae, it's, it's very difficult for an ordinary person, practically unless you're a genius, you can't even understand what he's talking about. His intelligence has been so much more developed than ours. So similarly, if, a, if Dr. Einstein the ant tries to speak to the other ants that actually there are human beings and what we are living in is a university and there are many people living here from Gujarat and there are different parts of India and the ants they can't understand what is this Gujarat, what is India, what is a university it's completely beyond their power to even think about so we have, we have seen Dr. Einstein, but there's no reason to suppose that even above Dr. Einstein, there may be many living beings whose ability to perceive reality is far more developed than us. And they may well be looking down at us as if we are ants. So that is the first thing that the, why do we doubt so many things? We doubt the existence of God. We doubt the scripture is true, 
Mahabharata is true. We think it's some kind of mythology, some fairy story. We doubt mostly because we are brought up, the modern education system brings us up only to accept as reality that which is within the range of our limited sense perception. But actually if we consider in a cool-headed and logical way, then we should consider that it is very likely that there are many levels of perception which are far above ours. After all, we are only living on one tiny little planet, in one tiny little galaxy, in a huge universe. So why should we think that we have all the answers? And why should we think, why, why should we dismiss as untrue something simply because it is not within our power to understand it? There is one very interesting story told about Dr. Frog. Dr. Frog was a great philosopher in the frog community. He was considered the most intelligent frog of his time. He used to sit at the bottom of his well and give learned discourses on frog philosophy. Now he lived in a well. The well was 20 feet deep and 20 feet wide. And Dr. Frog sat at the bottom in the Frog University and gave very learned discourses. So one day one young frog jumped out of the well and he went on a tour by Indian railways and he came to the ocean and he saw the Arabian Sea, huge o Indian Ocean, huge ocean and Dr. Frog, he got on a ship and he sailed across the ocean and came back and after many years he came back to his home well in Baroda and he jumped down his well and there he saw Dr. Frog, very old, very famous, the greatest frog in the history of the frog community, the greatest philosopher, the greatest scientist, Dr. Frog, double PhD, Nobel Prize winner, MSc, MA, Dr. Frog. So, Dr. Frog welcomed back the uh, traveling frog and he gave him his blessing and told him, and he asked him, what have you seen? It's just like someone, just like someone goes on a space voyage. What have you seen? He said, well, actually I saw the ocean. What is the ocean? The ocean is a huge body of water. Oh, like our well. Our well is very big also, 20 feet by 20 feet. So the frog, the young frog said, no, no, actually the ocean, it's much bigger than this well. How much bigger? Maybe two times as big, maybe the ocean is 40 feet wide. No, 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 much bigger. So Dr. Frog said, what are you talking about? I'm the most famous frog. I know everything. Huh? I've never heard of any, any body of water more than 25 feet wide. So how big is your ocean? He, so the young frog said, no, no, it's hundreds and thousands of times bigger. So Dr. Frog rejected, no, no, you're simply speaking nonsense. You haven't been anywhere. You've just been sitting at the top of the well, eating flies, and now you've come back and you're talking all this nonsense. You just want to show that you're more intelligent than me. Get out of here. There's no such thing as any ocean. Dr. Frog was thinking like this because in his well, 20 feet wide, he had no experience of anything else. And when he was told of the ocean, he didn't believe it. Now we may take this as some kind of funny story, but actually this something similar happened when the British explorers in the 19th century, they were going to Africa. Some of them came back to England and they, they came back with very brown skins because Africa is very hot and in England it's always cold and raining. So the people, they were very curious. Oh, what is it like in Africa? They said, oh, the sun is very hot. Oh, and what else? Oh, there are funny animals there. There is a giraffe which has a neck 15 feet long and it's as, as high as a big house. 
and it eats leaves from the tops of trees and there's a rhinoceros it's such a big animal with such a thick skin that even if you shoot bullets at the rhinoceros the bullets simply bounce off and there's elephants big long animals with a big long trunk and tusks like this huge animal so of course in England there's only cats and dogs and cows and goats and chickens so the people they said these people have been to Africa the sun in Africa is very hot and the water is very funny so these people they've had too much sun on their head and by drinking the water they've become diseased their brain has gone bad and they're imagining there's some animal called a giraffe an elephant a rhinoceros how could they believe if you've never if you've only seen cats and dogs and chickens and pigs then how are you going to believe in giraffes elephants and rhinoceros they couldn't believe it this is a fact so they they are making the same mistake they are limiting their ability they, they are limiting see how we're going over oh yeah they are limiting their uh, perception of the universe only to what they can see and feel and hear and smell and touch and taste and see but this is foolishness so this is our point the question is why should we believe mahabharat so i give the question back why not because there may be many things which are described in mahabharat which we cannot understand but that doesn't mean we should reject it I'll, uh, there's so many examples can be given just like uh, practically all over the world there are hundreds and thousands of cases of ghosts so many ghosts even many people if they go in a lonely place at night they feel afraid they feel even though they wouldn't like to tell anybody but if they go in a lonely place at night they feel a, they feel afraid or if they go in an old dark house maybe in india you don't find so much because everywhere is packed up with people but at least in england or ireland where i come from there are many old houses away in the country no one living there and if you go there at night you may feel a little afraid like this now there are many many ghost stories and even about 12 years ago delta airlines which is uh, at that time it was america's number 5 airline one of the biggest airline companies in the world they stopped flying on one route because on that route there was a ghost every time they flew a plane it was somewhere in florida on something like gainesville to alachua or something like that gainesville to miami every time they flew a plane on that route a ghost would come in the plane why because one time when they were flying on that route the plane crashed and what happened is the pilot of that plane when it crashed he was killed everyone was killed so every time they flew on that route when the airline staff would come into the plane they'd find there's already someone in the plane the pilot who's already dead and sometimes he would they would keep on seeing him and sometimes and announced all the passengers would be sitting in the plane and the uh, the pilot so the captain he wouldn't say anything but an announcement would come uh, everyone please put on your seat belts 5 minutes from departure time and who's making that announcement oh it would fly on that route so even though they were making plenty of money they stopped flying this is the subject of a book which about 10 years ago became a best selling book in america uh, so even in the modern age there are so many stories but modern science won't accept it even though there are many cases why because you can't experimentally prove it even though there are hundreds and thousands of cases so our proposition is that in the name of modern scientific evidence and in the name of modern rational empirical scientific education we are actually from a large chunk of reality there there may be and almost certainly there are many many things which we cannot immediately understand 
but which nevertheless may be true. Even if in the Mahabharata it is said that voices came from the sky. Now we may think that is very strange, but there are so many things which are strange in the modern age. Just, just like the atom bomb. Who could have imagined there could be such a, you could develop a bomb at a time. Actually in the Mahabharata it's also described, the Brahmastra, which is more effective than the atom bomb. Because the atom bomb just kills everybody. But the Brahmastra is guided by mantra and it only kills that who you want to kill. And if you are expert, you can also call it back by mantra. Actually people had power by mantra. Just like these different weapons they used to fire, like you fire the arrow with a mantra and then the arrow would have different effects. There were heating weapons, freezing weapons, arrows that would divide themselves into 1000 arrows like this. So this was controlled by mantra. It's just like in modern science, scientific technology, they've developed so many incredible weapons. There are weapons uh, just like these exocet missiles. They will chase up the, the, by radar and computer. They will lock onto a target. Actually exocet are heat seeking. Now they're out of date. Every, they were used in the Falklands Islands War. But after that, there's more even up-to-date weapons, which smart bombs, which they will choose out a target and there's nothing which will stop them. They must get that target unless they're destroyed before they reach the target. They, by computer, they're guided and they will lock on. So they are controlled by gross method, period. They had weapons which were controlled by mantra. The point here is that we may not be able to experimentally prove almost certainly we won't be able to experimentally prove still we should not reject what is described in Shastra as fairy stories question may come then how do you differentiate between a fairy story and what is described in Mahabharata, Ramayana, the Puranas now the difference is that in the Mahabharata, Ramayana, Puranas even in the Bible so many things are taught but they are not taught as fairy stories but they are accepted by great acharyas this is another point that those who are expert in spiritual science which is a transcendental science they accept the words of Shastra just like previously in Indian culture if somebody said something to somebody you should do this then the other person might say why should I follow you is it a Vedic injunction that I should follow you? Is it Shastra Vidhi? In other words, Shastra Vidhi was accepted as unrejectable. Whatever is said in the Shastra must be accepted. That is the rule. Now we may say that is dogmatic, that is blind faith. But actually it's a fact even from the material platform, if we follow Shastra, we will find that it is completely correct. Just like in the Shastra it is said that stool is so impure that if you touch stool you have to immediately take a bath. Now of course these are Vedic rules of hygiene, very good rules. If you follow you won't get sick. But it's also said that the cow stool, the, the gobor, the stool of a cow is pure and so pure that you use it to clean your house. You use it, you can use it uh, for even for, for the deities, when you do Abhishek of Krishna, you mix up the cow dung, the cow urine. So how is it? It seems to be contradictory. But actually if you scientifically analyze, you will find that cow dung is full of all antiseptic elements, which is why people put all over their house every day. Even now in, in, in Bengal, Orissa, in the villages, they mix up water and cow dust every day and smear it all over the floor. And if you put it there, it will, it will be completely antiseptic and no flies will come. A similar example, it is said that the bone of an animal is impure. But the shank we use for puja. So it seems contradictory. But the fact is that, of course that is not understandable by scientific analysis. But the shank 
is so pure that that is acceptable even to God. So if we, even if we analyze uh, from a material point of view, we will find everything in the Vedas is perfect. Just like uh, there are so many sciences, astronomy, there is Vedic astronomy. Now you can study astronomy by Western system, gradually they have discovered many planets. And uh, by studying the different planets, they, they can, you can see when Mars will next be visible, uh, what is the orbit of Pluto, all these things they can say. But these things are also in the Vedic astronomy many thousands of years ago, when they didn't have radio telescopes. But the knowledge is there in Shastra, Sh Surya Siddhanta, Srimad Bhagavatam and Vishnu Purana, different Shastras they describe. And there are Vedic astronomical tables which give the exact movements of the planets. Otherwise, everyone knows astrology is a very developed science in the Vedic culture. That is, astrology is based on astronomy. That knowledge was there even before we had the Western system of astronomy. So, how is it possible that we may or may not know? Actually, we know, we accept that the Vedic knowledge is given at the creation by God. Just like if you purchase a microphone, you get a booklet which describes how to use this microphone. Is it not? So similarly, with the creation, God gives books how to live in this world, how to utilize it. Those books are Shastra. There are different divisions of Shastra. And they are all very useful for human society. There is Ayurveda. Ayurveda, that is medical science, it is a highly developed science. It is modern medical science. It, it only depends on the chemical, biochemical reactions within the body. If there's something wrong in the body, give an injection, give some pills, or give surgery. But the Ayurvedic science is much more subtle because it examines that disease is not caused simply by chemi the chemical, the chemical uh, malady has a deeper cause, which means that the life airs, there are life airs within the body which are not balanced. There are ten different kinds of life airs. There, is, there, is, there are three main substances, uh, cough, pitta, vayu. And when these are disordered, then disease occurs. So in Ayurveda, they treat not the chemical imbalance, but the imbalance of life airs, which are so subtle that even today in modern medical science, they can't find it out. Uh, so, all, so much science is there. The science of music, everybody knows that uh, the Vedic science of music is highly developed. Uh, all the, the, so many, the science of rag, tal, so many things are there. Highly developed. Even the instruments which are used traditionally in India, like sita, that uh, it's such a... There's no such complex, in, complex instrument in the whole of the Western world. But still, this, despite so much uh, knowledge and culture, uh, we, we reject, we say, I don't see it, therefore I don't believe it. This is like the ostrich philosophy. The ostrich, you know, when he sees an animal coming to kill him, he can't run away, he puts his head in the sand and says, I can't see any more anyone coming to kill me, therefore I'm safe. This is foolishness. This is owl philosophy. The owl, he flies around at the night and in the day he closes his eyes. And if anybody asks the owl, uh, just look at the sun, the owl will say, no, my eyes are closed. I don't see the sun. I won't see the sun. So if we say, that we don't believe in anything we can't see, that is owl philosophy, philosophy, frog philosophy. It is not the philosophy of a very developed human being. Even the great scientists of the world, like Newton, Einstein, they could not have developed the, the knowledge which they have gifted to human society if they had not been willing to think beyond the limits of reality as it was taught to them. Is that not a fact?
Einstein. Einstein revolutionized science by by daring to think that there could be concepts of science which were completely beyond the scope of that which was being taught at the present time. Huh? And he, he dared to think beyond the limits which were imposed on him. So we should do that also. We shouldn't think that only what I can see on television, that is reality. There are so many things which we may not be able to understand. And actually the Mahabharat itself gives a very good formula. It says, the Mahabharata says there are many things which are achintya. Achintya means it may not be within the power of our brain to immediately understand. Mahabharata says there are many things which are achintya. But Mahabharata says such things they should not be the discussion of argument because it is not within our power to argue about them at all. Uh, that which is presented by higher authorities we should simply accept. Just like if we go into the physics class or the mathematics class let's say mathematics we go into the mathematics class and we are taught something some formula when you first see calculus it looks so difficult you can't imagine what is going on is it not when you first see calculus all you're used to is some maybe some simple multiplication some simple algebra and all of a sudden here you are calculus and there's this all these funny signs and you don't know what's going on at all and the teacher shows you how from the original calculus formula you expand it and develop it and it looks fantastic and you can't understand it at all huh? and then you get into more advanced calculus huh? and when you first see it it looks just so difficult you can't understand but then you simply accept that the teacher he knows huh? so many people they know and the teacher he knows and even though I can't understand it let me accept the at least theoretically that it is a fact if I walk out of the mathematics class and say this is too difficult I can't understand it it's all rubbish I'm leaving then we are the loser the calculus is a fact but if I walk out because I because I can't understand it and therefore I say calculus is all rubbish the calculus is not rubbish I'm rubbish because I don't have the ability to understand it but if we patiently hear from the teacher from the professor, huh? then we can gradually understand, by training we can gradually understand and we will also find that we can sit down with a calculus and we won't be afraid. We can just do, 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 very simple, there's the answer, right? In the beginning it looks impossible, but after being trained we can understand, oh yeah, straightforward, this is a straightforward calculus operation and we do it, we sit down and we write it out. So in the same way, there are many things which may appear to be fantastic, impossible to understand. But that doesn't mean that we should reject it. If we reject the wisdom of Mahabharat, just, I don't believe it, finished, then we are the loser. Because there may be many things which are difficult for us to understand in Mahabharat. But alongside with that, we should at least recognize there is so much good knowledge, good knowledge of how to live in this world, uh, how to be a good person, how to develop our life for the future life. There is spiritual knowledge, how to uh, understand what happens after we leave this body, how to get free from repeated birth and death. In Mahabharat, the jewel of the Mahabharat is Bhagavad Gita. This is a great science. Bhagavad Gita is the jewel of the Mahabharata. It is the essence of all spiritual knowledge condensed into only 700 verses. Such valuable knowledge that people all over the world are studying. Uh, people all over the world are getting enlightenment from Bhagavad Gita. But if we reject that I can't understand it, I can't believe it, I, therefore I reject it, then Mahabharata will exist. 
That knowledge will continue to exist, but we will be the loser. So how to get the knowledge? That is described exactly in Bhagavad Gita itself. Tadvidhi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya upadekshyanti tegyanam jnanas tatvadarshana. To understand this knowledge, it's something like going to your mathematics teacher. You go to the teacher, and he teaches you, and you inquire from him. And in the beginning, it may seem very difficult, but by gradually, gradually being taught, uh, you can develop and you can understand it. A brilliant student, he can pick up just like that. You'll find some people they're eight years old. They're a brilliant mathematician, is it not? Some people eight years old, little children, and they're fantastic mathematicians. Mozart, at the age of seven, he com- he did his first compositions. He sat down at the age of four at a piano and started playing. Brilliant, genius from birth. Uh, so co- different people have different abilities. Some people develop more slowly, but the system is there. You go to a teacher who can teach you. Uh, that way you can also understand. Just like what is the science of God? That is a great subject matter. Great persons throughout history have applied themselves to this subject matter in the Eastern world and in the Western world and on other planets also. We should not think that great persons like Jesus Christ, Buddha, uh, Ramanujacharya, Vallabhacharya, these, if we see throughout history, who have been the most influential persons and who have the people who have, who have contributed religious life, moral life, ethical life, persons like Francis of Assisi, Jesus, these names like Ramanujacharya, Madhvacharya, they were all great people. They were all highly intelligent people. They were all powerful people. They were all renounced people. They weren't interested in getting money, exploiting others. Huh? getting political power. They were simply interested in giving something good to others by giving knowledge of God. Actually, they were people like Madhvacharya, Buddha, Jesus, they were all very powerful. They influenced the minds of many people. They had many disciples who were willing to do whatever they said, but they never utilized it for personal gain. They were all living as sannyasis. They weren't interested. If they wanted, just like Madhvacharya had so many followers, if he wanted, he could have taken over India. If he told everyone, now you take up a sword and follow me. He could have become the emperor, but he wasn't interested. Huh? People, they, were, they would give money to, just like Raman, before Ramanujacharya, there was one Alva, Alabandu Alva. So much money was given to him, but he, he himself lived very simply and build big temples. So these people are great people. They have shaped civilization. The teachings of these people, uh, they are the most influential in all of modern society. Even the greatest thinkers of modern time, like Karl Marx, his philosophy has come and gone. And we see even great scientists, what they teach, uh, it comes and then again their theory is changed. Actually, the greatest scientists in history, like Newton and Einstein, they all believed in God, as a matter of fact. They may not have known exactly who God was. Just like Einstein said, at the end of his life, he said, Now, after all my studies, my only question is, I want to know how God made the creation. So, our point is that we should not reject out of hand that which is not easily understandable. But we should rather open our minds to that which is apparently fantastic and see what many, many great people in the past have accepted uh, and we can also accept. After all, God has made this creation with, in, with innumerable planets, with so many fantastic things. It is a fantastic thing even that the planets are floating in space. That in itself is fantastic. It is fantastic that the oceans, there is so much water, but the oceans, they don't come and flood. The ocean goes for thousands of miles, but it stops at the beach at Bombay. 
and why it just stops exactly there. Huh? There are so many fantastic things. Volcanoes are fantastic. Giraffes are fantastic. The human body is fantastic. The human body is so fantastic, not even the human body, any body. It's so fantastic that even though big, big scientists have been studying for hundreds of years with billions of dollars of research materials, they cannot understand what is going on in the body perfectly. They cannot even cure the, the common cold. Even uh, neuroscientists say that even after so many years of study, we only have a very limited idea of what is going on in the brain. So the whole creation is fantastic. There are so many things. Why can we not at least theoretically accept that all the things described in Mahabharata Ramayana are at least theoretically, we should be open-minded enough to think, at least it may be true. We should not just reject. If we reject thinking that I can't believe in it, that just proves our own ignorance and small-mindedness. Then we are like Dr. Frog. I didn't see it, I don't believe it. So our tendency is to think that the whole universe is changing, so many different theories are changing, but the great religious acharyas, those who are perfect models of spiritual and moral conduct, who are perfect models of uh, religious philosophy, who have dealt very deeply in these things, they do not reject. Huh? Even in the modern age, great personalities like Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasar Thakur, Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj, even in our own ISKCON, there are many people throughout the world, PhD scientists, in Russia especially, many, many very intelligent, highly educated people are joining this movement because they are thinking that the modern scientific thought it is very limited. Huh? Whereas that which is presented in the Vedic Shastra, it gives us knowledge of the unlimited which we can never approach through science, geography, technology, mathematics. We cannot approach through our own brain power because our